Hi, I'm James Anderson Foster, and you're listening to Who's Afraid, a weekly podcast of awesome serialized horror fiction written by amazing authors, performed for you by professional narrators, and brought to you by SerialAudio.com. It's totally binge-worthy. Chapter 13 Ted inched forward into the darkness, his footfalls echoing off the high ceiling. He sneezed in the cloud of swirling dust, awakening the throbbing in his skull. An overhead chandelier crackled to life, illuminating the lodge's main hall. Neglected furniture sat beneath wrinkled sheets turned yellow with age. The carpet squished beneath his feet where puddles of green water had collected from the leaky roof. On his left, a long wooden counter ran the length of the room. The first ten feet were for check-ins, identified by a large wooden sign hanging overhead from lengths of chain. A thin partition separated this from the lodge's bar, where bottles of murky liquid lined a set of bowed shelves. He ran around the edge of the check-in counter, slipping on the slick carpet, and found an old rotary dial phone. He picked it up and put it to his ear, hearing only faint static. He disconnected the call and tried again, but the white noise persisted. Faint voices swam just beneath the surface, calling to him, mocking him. Ted grabbed the heavy phone from the desk and threw it across the room where it landed with a heavy jangle. He looked around for another phone, but saw nothing, not even a payphone. From the dead receiver came throaty laughter and squeals of static. It grew louder, filling the room like a loudspeaker. He reached down to pull the phone cord from the wall, only to find it wasn't connected. Frowning, he ran to the phone and kicked it, hurting his toes. Still, the noise persisted. Grabbing it in his hands, he heaved the phone toward the front doors, where it shattered the thick glass and bounced onto the porch. The room became quiet, the silence broken only by Ted's heavy breathing. What do you want from me? he shouted. Ted's ears had started ringing doubling the pain in his injured head. He pressed his hands into his temples and tried to massage the pain away, but it did little good. He needed to find Susan and get out of this place. The air crackled and sizzled with unseen energy as Ted stumbled across the room, driven by pure need. All he wanted was to lie on one of the lodge's dusty couches and drift away, but Susan was still here somewhere, and he couldn't bear the thought of her wandering these ruined halls aimlessly searching for him and for a way out. He wanted to feel sorry for himself, wanted to curl up in his mother's embrace and let her take away his pain. But he was on his own. For the first time in his life, he was completely and totally alone. Emptiness consumed him. Ted? A voice called. Upstairs. Ted, where are you? Susan. Ted lurched to the staircase and looked up into the darkened hallway of the second floor, pausing briefly to shake off a bout of dizziness. Susan? Where are you, baby? No reply. Just stay where you are. I'm coming for you. He took the steps two at a time until he reached the top. Peering into the darkness, Ted searched for any sign of movement, any sound. 
Rain beat on the lodge's roof. Wind whistled through broken windows. Doors stood open on either side of the hall, offering glimpses into rooms where only spiders lived. Each room was a barren square, devoid of furniture. There was nowhere to hide. So where the hell was she? Susan, I'm here, Ted called. Tell me where you are. The thunder grumbled a response, shaking the building. He'd come too far to lose her now. Help me, he shrieked. Where's everyone now when I actually need them? Julie? Emma? Anyone? Ted stood perfectly still in the middle of the musty hall, holding his hands over his face and crying harshly. It felt like this place went on forever, and every room was just more of the same. He didn't know how much longer he could go on. It felt like his head was about to split open and spill his brains onto the carpet, each peal of thunder another nail in his coffin. Somewhere ahead, a door squealed open, spilling bright white light into the hall. Ted couldn't look at it. He shielded his eyes with his hand, creeping toward the source of the light, as a steady wind blew toward him, pushing him back. He fought against the gale, grabbed at the walls and door frames, pulling himself forward one step at a time. With a loud crack, the same white light blazed from every door, every window, every split in the lodge's old timbers. It washed over him, bathed him in its purity. His aches and pains were lifted from his body by warm, probing fingers. He collapsed to the floor, surrounded by heat, feeling his consciousness slip. Ted, a voice whispered. He heard Susan's voice, but his body wouldn't respond. He reached out a hand, waggled his fingers toward the sound of her voice. The light swept him away. The hall appeared to stretch out for miles. The water had risen to Susan's waist, making it harder to move. Her legs were burning from the strain. Her toes had gone numb. She continued trying doors, many of which remained locked. Those that were unlocked opened onto scenes of horrifying creatures, barren landscapes, broken cities. Each desolate vision pushed her mind closer and closer to the brink of collapse. Susan turned the knob on the next door and opened it cautiously. Thick, choking smoke blew into the hall on a hot wind. She pulled her collar shirt over her nose and mouth and squinted into the orange glow as her eyes watered and dribbled over her cheeks. She stared down a wind-swept street, clogged with abandoned vehicles. Rows of houses stood on either side engulfed in flames. Hot ash skated across broken, blackened sidewalks. In the distance stood the tall, steel silhouette of an unfamiliar city, spires pointing to a crimson sky. The inferno raged with an unsettling roar, twisting the skyscrapers into unnatural, hunched monsters. Susan slammed the door and wept. There was nothing left. The world she'd known was gone, swept away like trash on the breeze. The river of filthy water tugged at her legs and pulled her down, swiftly carrying her forward. She no longer had the energy or the will to fight. There was no escape. She listened as doors slammed behind her, booming in the blackness, hiding the atrocities that lurked just beyond their thresholds. Nightmares couldn't hide behind closed doors. Susan knew they were there. The visions would shamble around in the dark corners of her mind every time she closed her eyes, but hopefully not for much longer. Water sloshed over her face, 
spilling into her mouth and burning her sinuses. She welcomed it. She thought of Ted as she floated away, wondering what had become of him, hoping he'd found a way out of this madness. Susan was nearly there. Death could only be a blessing. Susan's ass scraped the carpet beneath her. She realized the water had begun receding. She reached beneath her and scraped her fingers along the carpet, slowing her forward motion. She stood, shook the water from her clothes, and hugged herself to keep from shivering. A lone light flickered on above a closed, white door. It was the only light left. She turned to look behind her, but there was nothing but a plain wall. A picture frame hung crookedly from a single nail, a photo of her and Ted on their first visit to the Pine Lakes Resort. Arms around one another, beaming, standing before the wide expanse of the lake behind them. Susan reached out and touched the dusty glass, rubbing a finger over Ted's smiling face. For a brief second, she thought she heard his voice, soothing her, reassuring her, loving her. Just that quickly it was gone. The frame fell to the floor and shattered as the photo withered and faded. No, 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 she cried. You can't have him. She lifted the photo from the frame and hugged it tightly to her chest, feeling it crumble and fall through her fingers like sand. The overhead light exploded in a shower of sparks, leaving her in total darkness. She slid down the wall and wailed, the final exclamation of her broken heart. She huddled in the dark, waiting for everything to go away. Susan heard noises from behind the solitary closed door. The floor creaked under the weight of someone's passing. Hushed voices whispered back and forth. She looked up at the door, wiped her eyes and watched as thin, white light spilled through the cracks around the frame. She heard a muffled cry, the same cry she'd heard upon waking. Whatever it was, it was right behind the door, but she couldn't bring herself to find out. Time after time, doors opened on unspeakable horrors. One more, and her already fragile mind would snap like a rubber band. The cry came again, louder, clearer. Susan stood and listened as light steps approached the door. The knob turned slowly. Susan tensed, knowing there was nowhere to run. Inch by agonizing inch, the door opened in, revealing more of the brilliant glow. At first it hurt her eyes to gaze inside. But little by little, her vision adjusted, and the room became clear. It was immediately familiar. It was she and Ted's spare bedroom the one they'd cleaned and painted and decorated over long hours of laughter and excitement and long talks about the future. It was a room full of hope and love, a room that was soon left behind to collect dust, to be forgotten, sealed off behind walls of painful memory, their unborn child's nursery. In the dim glow of their past, Susan and Ted sat on the floor of the bedroom, covered in splotches of paint, watching as it slowly transformed into something beautiful. Ted munched on a bag of raw carrots and looked over their handiwork. It was really coming together. Their child would soon fill these walls with laughter and light. Susan would sit in her rocking chair as warm breezes blew off the lawn, holding a new life in her hands, planning the millions of possibilities spread out before them like a glittering sea of diamonds. Do you think he'll like it? Susan asked. He? You mean will she like it? 
Susan laughed and ate one of Ted's carrots. Do you want to know? No, absolutely not. I want it to be a surprise. She thought it over and smiled. So do I. Can you believe it? We're going to be parents, Ted. We are? I was wondering why we were doing all this work. It'll be well worth it. The kid better appreciate it, he choked. I don't want to get calluses for nothing. Your hands will recover. She grabbed his hand and rubbed it tenderly. Ted put the bag of carrots aside and pulled her closer. She sat between his legs and rested her back on his chest as he wrapped his arms around the small bump of her stomach. So tiny, yet large enough to fill them both to the brim with unbridled joy. Ted held her, smelling the fresh, wonderful scent of her hair. We need to get cracking on names, mister, she said. We can't wait until we're on the way to the hospital. Robert, Ted said, if it's a boy. I want to name him after my grandfather. And if it's a girl? Girls' names are a trap, he laughed. The older we get, the more pretentious the names become. Whatever happened to Mary and Martha and Minerva? Minerva? I would never do that to my child. You know what I mean, he said. In the 80s, everyone started naming their girls after cars. Expensive cars. Mercedes, Lexus, Shelby. No one ever named their daughter Dodge or Dotson, did they? These guys couldn't afford a stylish ride, so they named their kids after one. Susan snorted laughter and nodded. There was a girl in my elementary school named Porsche. Porsche? Was she fast? She got pregnant in junior high school, so what do you think? See what happens when you put a label on someone. You have to live up to your name. What about June? Susan asked. The months are worn out, too. January, April, May, June. Same with the seasons. There are a million summers and autumns running around out there. You're a tough nut to crack, she said. I want something pretty to match the most perfect child the world has ever seen. Susan laughed. That's a lot of pressure to put on a child. I don't think so. Pretty name for a pretty girl? She'll wake up every morning feeling beautiful. She'll feel beautiful no matter what we name her. We'll make sure of that. Ted hugged her and kissed her neck. That's why you're going to be a great mother. Susan smiled, feeling completely at home in Ted's embrace. They were actually doing this. They were a few short months away from becoming parents. It thrilled her and scared her to death, but she wouldn't change a thing. The silence stretched out before them. Susan dozed off as the sun warmed her face. Victoria, Ted said. Victoria, Susan repeated, letting the name roll off her tongue. It's perfect. It is, isn't it? Victoria. Victoria, Susan whispered. The room was as she'd remembered it. Rocking chair by the window, crib in the corner, changing table nearby. It was a perfect replica. The pale light bled the color from the room, giving the appearance of an old black-and-white movie. It smelled of fragrant flowers. What is this? she asked cautiously. You remember, a voice said pleasantly. You remember everything, every detail. What is this doing here? How is this possible? After everything you've seen and heard, you question the one thing that should give you the most hope. No, I don't mean it like that. 
I don't know what I mean. It's just, I don't understand. In time, Susan. Where are you? she asked. She turned in a slow circle in the center of the nursery. The walls were hidden in cloudy white light, and in the glow stood a half-dozen figures, shadows, human shapes. They remained still. Who are you? That's not important, dear. What's important is that you're here. I don't know where here is, she cried. This could be another trap. Haven't I suffered enough? Yes, you have suffered enough. It's how you came to us. How you found this place. Bright, beautiful laughter emanated from the crib in the corner. A mobile of butterflies spun overhead, playing sweet, tinkling lullabies. A tiny arm reached up with small, groping fingers, and Susan stepped back, expecting any number of horrifying abominations. It was just a hand. A perfect little hand with perfect little fingers. Susan sighed, relieved, and stepped forward. She was terrified. She approached the crib with trepidation, fearing another trick, another trap, but nothing happened. A child cooed playfully out of sight, and Susan's heart filled with calm. Is that... is it... a baby? What else would it be, Susan? The voice snickered. But here? In this place? Why? This is a safe place, Susan. Your trial is over. You can rest. Whose baby is this? Why is it here? I think you know the answer to that, Susan. The baby squealed, waving two chubby fists in the air. My baby? Your baby, Susan. A sweet, healthy little girl. No, no, what kind of trick is this? My baby is dead. Dead. Why would you do this to me? She's not dead, Susan. Nothing ever truly dies. She's been waiting for you. Waiting? For me? Yes, we've taken care of her for you. I don't understand what's happening. How is this possible? You know the answer to that as well. Susan rubbed her forehead with a shaking hand. Why won't you tell me? She shouted. Why all the riddles? You have the answers you need. It's not our place to offer you explanations. The infant giggled. Can I see her? She asked. Of course you can. She's your daughter. Susan didn't move. Her mind buzzed with questions. She's not going to come to you, Susan, the voice tittered. I don't know what to do, Susan cried. Yes, you do. Go to your daughter. She's waited such a long time. Susan sobbed uncontrollably and fidgeted with her shirt. Her daughter. The perfect life that had been taken away from them lie only four feet away in the same crib Ted had built with his own hands. It didn't make sense. Nothing made sense anymore. She moved forward, one tentative step, then another. When she reached the edge of the crib, she closed her eyes and took a deep breath. Was she ready for this? After a moment, Susan placed her hands on the smooth wooden crib rail and opened her eyes. Oh my God, she whispered. A plump little girl stared up at her with the bluest, most beautiful eyes she'd ever seen. The infant smiled a toothless grin and reached for her, legs pumping, 
babbling happily. Thin, blonde wisps of hair covered her shiny scalp. After all the horror and all the death, Susan stared at life at its most innocent. What do I do? she sobbed. Embrace her. Isn't that what you've always wanted? What you've dreamed of since the day you found out you were pregnant? Susan reached down, cradled the infant's head and lifted her from the crib. She held her, feeling her warmth, smelling her skin, looking at every inch of her tiny body from the crown of her head to her ten amazing toes. The baby girl reached up and clapped a hand over Susan's lips, laughing and wiggling in her arms. It wasn't another dream that Susan would wake from in tears. It was real. It had weight. Victoria, Susan whispered, running a finger over her baby's silky cheek. It's a beautiful name, the voice said. The soothing voice was actually many voices speaking in unison. Musical. Genderless. When you're ready to go, Susan, say the word. Susan hugged Victoria, afraid to squeeze her too tightly. Go where? Anywhere. Everywhere. It's your choice. Susan nodded as understanding flooded her being. The undulating form stepped closer, surrounding her. She had no fear. The door behind her opened. Susan stared into the hall and saw a shadowy figure crawling across the floor. It raised its head. Their eyes met. Ted? Ted? The voice whispered. He forced his eyes open against the glaring light and stared into the room. Susan, is it really you? If Susan answered, he couldn't hear her. Her lips moved but made no sound. Ted crawled to a sitting position just outside the door and watched as tall, shadowy figures surrounded her, wrapping long arms around her waist. They formed a misty circle of light around Susan's body, partially obscuring her from view. No! he shouted weakly. Leave her alone. Susan wasn't struggling. She smiled at him as tears coursed over her cheeks. What's happening? Again, Susan's mouth moved silently. She looked peaceful, serene. Susan, Ted cried. Please don't go. He's not ready, a voice said. Susan nodded. Not ready for what? Goddamn you, leave her alone. Something wiggled in Susan's arms, but the glare was too bright for him to make out any detail. He squinted into the light as the room grew fuzzy, like a television with bad reception. The air crackled. Ted realized he could see through Susan's body. She was simply fading away. Susan, fight it! You can't leave me here! Ted reached across the threshold and pulled his hand back with a hiss. The light stung his flesh as tears leaked from his eyes. Like a sprinter at the starting gate, Ted tensed and prepared to run. Susan's form flickered and vanished with a crack as light poured from the room, knocking Ted back against the wall. He cried Susan's name over and over, but she was gone. The light faded. The room was empty. No! Ted screamed. Susan, come back to me! Don't leave me like this. Lightning flickered through a broken window. The room was in ruin, just another forgotten space in this desolate land of shadows. 
Ted put his head in his hands and wept like a child. The emptiness in his soul threatened to crush him beneath unforgiving hands. Pain flared in his chest and extended out. The pervading feeling of loss consumed him. Why? he whined. God damn you, why? Ted jumped with a start as a howl pierced the darkness. It was close, just down the hall. The hounds had returned. Heavy footfalls rushed toward him. Above, the roof rumbled beneath the scrabbling of clawed feet. Ted stood and ran down the never-ending hall as it twisted around him. Doors flung open and tore from their hinges as orange eyes peered hungrily from empty rooms. A taloned hand reached from a doorway and tore a jagged hole in his thigh. I just want my wife, he bellowed. Go to hell. Laughter surrounded him. Mocking, warbling laughter. Ted turned a corner and felt the floor disappear from under his feet. He tumbled end over end, crashing off the banister, bouncing over risers. He hit the floor on his back as air exploded from his lungs. He remained motionless, waving at the stars that burst in his vision. His body ached. His racing heart thundered in his ears as the blood rushed to his head. He rolled over and took a deep breath, clutching at the soggy carpet. Dim, gray light poured through the main entrance forty feet away. He had to get outside. Maybe he had a chance. Maybe he could still rescue Susan. Somehow. Ted crawled the first ten feet, unable to find his balance. By the time he reached the center of the room, he was able to stand and stagger the rest of the way. He opened the front door and burst onto the porch, nearly tripping over the phone he'd tossed through the window. Kicking it aside, he descended the stairs and stumbled down the rocky path toward the circle of cabins below. He turned and looked up with a gasp. The roof was lined with hunched, black shapes, dozens of them, snarling, gnashing their teeth, growling deep in burly chests. I'm going to find Susan, Ted stated. Nothing on earth will stop me from finding my wife. Do you understand me? Your wife is long gone a voice shouted from the forest. Ted saw Jack's silhouette standing along the path. Why don't you come with me, friend? You can have a whole new life in Pine Lakes. Fuck you, Ted shouted. I'll wait here forever before going back to that graveyard. Interesting choice of words, Ted. Maybe our graveyard is exactly what you need. Jack's laughter boomed over the rain. Ted turned and carefully walked the path, keeping his feet from touching the edges, afraid of wandering too close to the black shapes that lingered just out of eyesight. Jack bellowed behind him. Promises. Lies. Furious outbursts of undisguised rage. Ted carried on, so tired he could barely keep his feet moving. If not for the hope of finding Susan, he'd let them take him, rip him apart, End this nightmare once and for all. After several minutes of wandering, Ted stood in the center of the clearing, surrounded by the private cabins that Susan had loved so much. Cabin 105. Their cabin stood directly ahead. If she was anywhere waiting for him, it would be there. He mounted the steps, reached out, and opened the door. It's quaint, Susan said. Charming. You like it? Ted asked. I love it. 
It smells so fresh up here. I'm so glad, he gushed. I was afraid you wouldn't like it. I spent so much time with my parents here, it became like a second home. Cabin 108, right over there, he pointed. Susan nodded and sat on the bed, testing its firmness. This is 105, she stated. I thought it was time to start a new tradition, he smiled. That's very presumptuous, she laughed. What makes you think I'd want to come up here every year, huh? Do you expect us to get married and have kids and a house with a view? What's wrong with that? Nothing, she said quietly. Absolutely nothing. Ted sat next to her on the bed and put his arm around her shoulders. Wait until it gets dark and the crickets come out. It's magic. It's just a resort, Ted. They're all over the place. I know. But this one is, I don't know, special. Can you feel it? It's like a current of energy runs through here and just makes you feel at peace. I know it sounds silly. No, it doesn't, she interrupted. It shows your romantic side. Ted laughed and squeezed her shoulders. That's me, the hopeless romantic. What now? Well, we can grab a bite to eat at the lodge, maybe take a boat out on the lake. Later we can roast marshmallows, hot dogs, huddle up by the fire. You have this all planned out, I see. Sort of, he giggled. I want you to love it as much as I do. I'm sure I will. I love you, after all. How does it get any better than that? Susan leaned in and kissed him tenderly on the lips, exhaling a sigh of absolute contentment. Ted was right. There was magic here. She felt it tingling in her fingers and toes. Outside, children played cheerfully, giggling and calling out to one another. A sweet, warm breeze blew through the window and ruffled the curtains. Hey, look at this, Ted said, jumping from the bed excitedly. Come here. Susan stood and followed him to the window. From their cabin, they had a perfect view of the lake. Paddle boats dotted the surface. People swam in the shallows, splashing each other playfully. The sun turned the slight ripples into shining points of glittering light. Oh, Ted, it's gorgeous. He elbowed her arm as if sharing a private joke. Right? I can see why you like it here. I'm glad you approve. I do. I love it. She wrapped her arm around his waist and hugged him tightly. I claim this cabin as the property of Ted and Susan, for now and forever, Ted shouted. Susan giggled and slapped his arm. I have an idea. Ted broke from Susan's arms and began stalking around the cabin, peering into corners, ducking his head into the small bathroom. There has to be somewhere decent. What are you talking about? Susan asked. You'll see. After another minute of seemingly senseless wandering, Ted shouted loudly and squatted next to the bed. Perfect, he muttered. What in God's name are you doing? Ted braced his hands on the side of the bed and slowly slid it across the floor, grunting from the effort. Susan stood back, hands on her hips, watching him amusedly. He pulled something from his pocket and got down on his hands and knees and diligently began scratching at the wooden floor. Susan stepped forward, and Ted reached up a hand, stopping her in her tracks. Hold on just a second, he said. He went back to work, muttered a few words, and leaned back to admire his work. With a laugh, he stood. What did you do? Take a look, he said. Susan walked to the spot on the floor and bent down, 
smiling so widely that her face hurt. Oh, Dad, you didn't have to do that. Yes, I did. Every year we come here, from now until we're old and gray, we'll add another mark to signify the anniversary of our first vacation together. Susan felt tears come to her eyes. It was the sweetest thing Ted had ever done. Carved into the rough wood was a large heart with their initials and a single line. Year one. Who else would deface property just to tell you he loves you? You're one of a kind, she whispered, and you're all mine. Until you get sick of me, he laughed. Never. She hugged him and kissed him passionately, grabbing the back of his neck and running her hand through his hair. I'll never get tired of you. Ever. Ted smiled and wiped a single tear from his eye. They never made it to dinner. Never made it to the lake. Instead, they stayed in bed until after sundown, passionately making love as everything else melted away. They fell asleep in each other's arms to the sounds of crickets and the breeze quietly soughing through the trees. Magic. Ted collapsed to the floor as the door shut behind him. He pounded his fists on the wood and screamed into the empty room until he tasted the warm, salty tang of blood in his throat. Susan wasn't there. No one had been there for ages. The cabin smelled of rot and mold. The room had been stripped of all furnishings except for a tattered, stained mattress resting on a rusted box spring. Ted shuffled to the bed and rested his hands on the cool fabric. He'd lain with Susan on this very bed, tickled playfully, discussed their past and their future, made love in each other's warm embrace. All gone, just like Susan. A life blown away like icy snowflakes in an unforgiving gale. How had their lives come to this? A stained mattress in a distant corner of oblivion. He laid down, shifting away from the springs that poked into his flesh. He longed to feel Susan's warmth, feel her presence beside him. There was nothing here but the void of loss. Ted couldn't keep his eyes open, and every time they closed he saw her face coming out of the dark. He had no more tears to cry. His mind raced with a lifetime of little moments, sacred memories. He kept them close as he felt himself slowly slipping away. Days passed. Years. Centuries. The life he'd known, the one he shared with Susan, collapsed into ruin. Cities toppled to be reclaimed by nature. The human race vanished from the earth as the sun went quiet and still, plunging everything into an endless midnight. It was always you, Ted thought. Only you, my love. Ted's ancient hunched body stood, grabbed the edge of the bed and pushed with the last of his waning energy. He got to his knees and brushed a thick layer of dust from the cabin's floor, revealing scratches in the old wood. Eighteen individual hash marks. With a long, cracked fingernail, Ted dug into the wood, scoring the surface with another bright line. Number 19. He smiled and collapsed, running his gnarled hand over the wood's surface, the last remaining vestige of he and Susan's fleeting life together. Ted felt his body growing lighter. His vision faded. A million years passed in the blink of an eye as the planet spun around a dead star and the cosmos flickered and died. The cabin door creaked open. 
spilling bright light across the floor. It took Ted the last of his energy to raise his head and squint into the blinding glare. A shadowy form stood there, motionless. A smaller figure came forward and extended a hand. The shape giggled, the sweetest laughter Ted had ever heard. Are you ready? a voice asked. Susan? Come on, Daddy. We have so much to show you. Epilogue They've been here for about a week, the officer said. He stood in the wet soil next to the wreck of a twisted Plymouth Barracuda. Others milled around the accident scene, poking at wreckage, prodding at the trail of items that were flung from the car's trunk during its descent from the road. Hell of a wreck, the man's partner muttered. Any chance they lived through it? None, he replied. Not after a fall like that. Another man joined them, smartly dressed, and announced himself as the medical examiner. The officers stood nearby as photographs were taken of the scene and of the two lifeless bodies sitting in the vehicle's cabin. It was laborious work for some, as others leaned against trees sipping at steaming coffee. Just another day at the office. Do we know who they are? Theodore and Susan Merchant, the officer responded. Married, mid-thirties, no kids. The man's mother reported them missing last weekend. What a way to go, he whistled. Can you imagine a drop like that? No, sir, and I don't want to. At least it was quick. We're going to have to cut them out, a voice called. They're both pinned beneath the dash. Christ, even if they survived the fall, they would have been trapped here. The officer mumbled and popped a stick of gum in his mouth. I don't want to be here any longer than I have to be. It's creepy. His partner laughed and clapped him on the shoulder. You afraid of the woods all of a sudden? Not the woods, but what lives there. Oh, big scary monsters. No, asshole. Big scary bears, mountain lions, wild dogs. Woods this deep tend to hide their secrets. Bigfoot? Maybe you'd be surprised. Why don't you spend a few nights here and let me know? In the distance, an animal bellowed a long, whining howl. The officers broke out in goosebumps and laughed nervously. When the coroner gets here, I'm out. Now who's scared of the woods? His partner laughed. Well, it is creepy. You're right about that. They turned and walked away from the scene, allowing the examiner to do his job. Hell of a way to go, the officer repeated. His partner grunted, turned, and shook his head. Yeah, it sure is. At least they died together. Thanks for listening this week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Who's Afraid as much as we enjoy bringing it to you. Remember to come back next week or subscribe at SerialAudio.com so you never miss a new episode. You can learn more about this podcast and other serialized fiction shows by visiting our website at SerialAudio.com. That's all one word, SerialAudio.com, where you can subscribe to this and our other shows via RSS, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast players. While you're at it, if you're enjoying this podcast, we'd love it if you'd share it with your friends. Even better, if you have a few spare seconds, leave a review on iTunes. 
To help support this show, sign up as a patron at patreon.com slash serial audio. You'll get early access to episodes ad-free and special bonuses like behind-the-scenes author and narrator interviews. Thank you again from all of us at SerialAudio.com. It's totally binge-worthy.